We know this story, Matthew 21. Of course, it's in all the Gospels, and it's all about the triumphal entry. Let's just jump in, and we know that they tell him to go pick up the donkey, and they go get the donkey, and if he needs them, say, God has need of them, they'll let you go. So, so verse 6, so the disciples, chapter 21, went and did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put their clothes on him, set him, and set him on them with a great multitude, spread the clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes went, who went before, and those who followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved. I love that line. All the city was moved saying, who is this? And the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. What an amazing moment. So just briefly, because I've shared this before and many times, but this is quite a real moment. I just want to say it. It's not just something that happened. It's kind of cute and all that stuff. I do believe in the forming of Jerusalem, Salem, which was probably years and hundreds and thousands of years before under maybe King Melchizedek. Um, he might have founded this. The heart of it was that this land, this beautiful hilltop, had the breath and the wind of God, the Mariah of God on it. And man could find God in this moment, that no matter where they came from, they felt the presence of God. Maybe Melchizedek could not negate it, couldn't get away from it every time he stepped onto this. So maybe he built an altar. Maybe he eventually built a temple. Maybe, and eventually a city was formed there. And this city was like no other. So in brief, I think that Jerusalem was the jewel of the world at that time and still is a very important jewel. If you visit, it's kind of like part of your heart going home. Someone told us that in 2018, we had a chance to go there, Brian and Marcy and I, and uh, Blaine Kimball led us, and it really was some part of our heart had come home. It was special. There's a presence and a purpose of God. All men who have any godliness in them are drawn to the city. And even though there was Rome and other, other great cities of the world, Jerusalem was something special, built by the heart of men, but in response to righteous God. And so every, everything about the city had an ebb and flow and a rhythm through it through the day and the closure of the gates at night and coming through the eye of the needle and how things went. It was just so beautiful rhythm reflecting the ways of God on earth. Come on, can we agree? Was there corruption and things? Sure, there always is, but the goodness and the more power, the righteousness of God seemed to dwell in this place with the very breath of God. Would you agree? So in this, what's so special is in this moment of Hosanna on this day, Jesus steps into the city, the very God-man, God being in flesh and stepping into a city that actually is built for him in response for him. Isn't that amazing? And I think for a brief moment, that's the, the heavens opened up, of course, the natural heavens, but the spiritual heavens opened up. And this was, everything was right in the world. God showed up in this place and it responded to him. And it was powerful. Men's hearts melted. They saw who he was. It's, I even think in the back part of the city, people working on things, they turned and what is this? And people were drawn to this moment. They're drawn to seeing who God really is. God let it open and let people see the culmination of three years of ministry, 33 years on this earth, working with men and having a great heart and loving them and not this fuss, but Jesus never judging, but drawing men and pulling them in and overseeing, overlooking their sins and not, not in a sense like dismissing them, but, but reaching into the heart of men. This is what happened that morning. Can you imagine that? So you got to think about it. It's not a fairy tale. It's something that really happened. In that moment, sometimes we have moments like this in here where you're caught up in worship. Could have been this morning, right? Where you just can't talk and God is like, just fills the place, fills your centuries, fills your soul, fills your mind. And you know that he is real, don't you? It goes beyond it. Just you, you can't, like you can't get a grip. It's so amazing. That's the way I think it was like then. 
And of course it was a city, just like this is a room with chairs and lights and cool stuff. But without God, it's like just worn out. But with God, it's like heaven on earth, right? It's like past, present, and future. The past of faith and testimonies, the present of what God's doing, the future promises of God. That's what kind of happened. And not kind of happened, that's what happened in Jerusalem when Jesus stepped into the mark that day. Man, he just opened up his heart. Man, God, God opened up this blessing, and men saw him for who he was. Make no mistake, it wasn't like a veneer. It was real. It struck into the souls of men, and it held them. I believe it. It brought from men who are believing God, it brought them to strength. From men who are weakened in their faith, it re-strengthened their faith. It brought hope back where there wasn't hope. But could, could, could righteousness be, could the right things be right? Could there be vindication? Could there be righteousness? Could there be restoration? Yes. And men's hearts were struck. This is the center of the world at the time. And every kind of human man, every kind of tribe was there. We know later on when, the, when they get filled with the Holy Spirit that everybody was in Jerusalem, every tribe and nation. This is what the call of God does, and it strikes our hearts. How many have ever been touched by, the, like God, by God like this in a moment? It's powerful. And I do believe he visits places. So into that moment, God's Jesus steps, and it's just brilliant. But I want you to know there are times in our lives that are like that, and they mark our life. You know that you know God spoke to you. In this same moment, here it has happened in the earth, and Jesus at the culmination of his ministry. Now, of course, we know this, this week unfolds, and the drama unfolds, doesn't it? The drama, the drama that comes against what you actually saw on Sunday, trying to blind you, trying to stop you, circumstances and situations, the men's ways. One of the things I read this week was the, what, the worst of what men could do became the, the unbelievably best of what God could do. The worst, of, the worst that men could do became an occasion for the unbelievably best that God could do. Let me say it one more time. The worst that men can do became an occasion for the unbelievably best that God could do. But this is our life. Almost half of the gospel is in this week in so many of the scriptures that we have. At least a third of the scriptures are there. All the things that Jesus did, forcing men to, and confronting men, and in a sense, forcing men or drawing men into a decision of faith. That even my words speaking to them, that's what he's saying, his words speaking to their life, and yet the, the circumstances get worse and worse as the week happens. But I know what I saw on Sunday, but it's not what's happening by Thursday and Friday. But what will you, will you still believe is the question. This is a question to all of our lives, all the time, every day, when we encounter God and we know he's the truth, but the world system, the broken world which we live in, starts to crowd that faith out of our lives and crowd what we know is true to succumb to what we think is the reality of, of the, the world system. And this is what we're here to fight. And Jesus does this amazing stuff. He does so many things to help men navigate their way through. But make no mistake, he is, in a sense, forcing the issue. He knows what has to take place, and he's forcing men. He's forcing the Sanhedrin. He's forcing the Pharisees. He's calling them out. He's speaking to men's life. He, cle he cleanses the temple. He goes in and, with a righteous anger, clears the place. And, and you know, what we don't hear about, and what I imagine and think of, is how amazing that temple was after that, after that Sunday, when he went right to the temple and cleansed it. What was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday like? Was the presence of God to heal people's lives, to truly minister to them like never before? Because Jesus, God himself, cleansed his own house. But we don't talk about that, but you've got to think beyond what's right there in paper. Use your imagination to think what happens. 
Man, it culminates in this amazing, intense time for Jesus on the cross. And I just want to go there. Uh, if you go to, I'm going to go to the end of the story, from the beginning of the story. Go to, go to Psalm 22. And what's happening here through the week is, and what's fascinating to me, and I'm not the perfect theologian, but it seems like Jesus, the man, the human, combined with the word of God is overcoming for us. And no one else could do this but him, but yet he makes a way for us. So let me illustrate this in a little bit, because this starts out with, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The very words of Jesus on the cross. So don't you think that the word is speaking the word to himself in this moment, right? Holding on to the faith that was absolutely true on Sunday, he's holding on to it, but his humanness is grabbing his life. And if I could say, you certainly know as you go through four, five, six, seven, all the way up to 14, it says, I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. Here's a man facing his, his, his destruction right here now, even though he's going to give up his, but he still has to go through the agony of it, being whipped, being scourged, being all the things bruised. And we're going to talk about it on, on Friday when we come in, but, but his heart is like wax. He's melting. In other words, his humanness is, is he sees, feels it ebbing away, correct? Even it says, the dogs, they surround me, a congregation of the wicked. You can feel the terror. If you can understand, even in Jerusalem at that time, and I don't have a ton to do it all, but the darkness that comes, the, the anger of men that when their systems are ruined and they want to fight back for control and they want to destroy. They're even talking about killing Lazarus before. If you look in John, they're planning to murder Lazarus. <laughs> murder Lazarus, who was just raised from the dead. How bizarre is that? Like, have a moment and think about it. We're going to kill him again. What? How stupid are men? But they're so filled with their own systems and their own ways. Like, I don't want to die. It's just messing everything up. We'll kill him. And then it turns into a murder of Jesus. But how bizarre to think we're going to kill Lazarus because he was just raised from the dead again. Not thinking really clearly here, are we? Come on. <laughs> how many times we don't believe God when he came through in our life? Many times. Well, it's just not going to work. You're killing Lazarus again. All right, we'll go that soon. So anyway, he's crying out. And in this, you can tell this darkness is surrounding and he's purposely holding on to God. And, but I do think there's this powerful part where you can see that it's man and word working together, paving a way for us that if he can do it, then God, you're making way so I can do it. Now, I'm not trying to blaspheme saying we can be raised. I'm not saying we can raise ourselves. But in this, he's talking about, and he comes right to this part in verse 19. But Lord, you be not far from him. Now, here, this moment, what's being is threatened is his own relationship with God. The very most important thing that he has in his life. The place where he's never had breakage. The place that he, he's never felt, he's never felt distance from God. It's all right. Babies cry all the time. We love, go ahead, Harbor. We love you and Quinn crazy about you. There you go. So, all right. Everybody, they look like they never saw a baby cry. What the heck was that about? So, all right. Stay with me, okay? So here's being threatened. Is, what's being threatened is his relationship with God, and he can feel it. He can feel far from God. Haven't you ever felt that? And he cries out, you, you still don't be far from me. But he even goes to the very point. He says, my precious life. He says, my strength hastened to help me. Verses 19, 20. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. My precious life. I love this part in him. Okay. I love this part in him because he loves life so much. And he's counting the cost as a man and as a person believing God. How many have ever done that? Have you ever looked at like, God, it's going to cost me. I don't want this path, but I'm choosing it. Like he, if anybody had ever bought into life, it was Jesus. 
He was all in. Can you, can you say it that way? He loved the rising of the sun, the setting of it. He loved the ebb and flow of days. He loved engaging with men. He loved the, the interaction. He loved the friendships. He loved even enemies that he knew he had more. He had love for them, and they didn't even know it. But he had like this secret power to love them. Isn't that amazing? But confront them. So he loved men. That's why he came to earth. It's like he's counting the cost of his precious life. This man life that God has extended to him that he chose. And he's grown up through in small villages and cities. He's worked his life in Galilee, come back and forth to Jerusalem. He's known what it is to, to be a man, to live on earth, to count the cost. And in this moment, this beautiful, I don't know if it's this beautiful moment, like I, I, I'm going to lose my life. And, it, and I love this life. It's not going to be the same ever again. That's our, I'm good. And he I always got to have the go-to, but still in a moment. But then the second part in verse 20, 21, I love the saving from the lion's den and the horns of the wild oxen. Of course, he's speaking. He's speaking of the principalities and powers that have come for him and come for the truth, that have come to fight and crush righteousness when it has no right to. And he sees it, man. He just feels it. But he says in this moment, verse 21, B, it says, you have answered me. New King James Version, no one else says it like this, but no one else says it. But it said, this is the moment where men are standing and God comes. When we have no power in ourselves, but God has all the power. And he steps into our life and an answer like, yes, or you will be all right, or I've answered you, or a feeling, or a note, and you know God just shifts your heart like, God, it can be quiet, it can be loud, it can be anything, but you know when God answers you, and it just turns the tide in his life, man. It turns it. I mean, of course he's going to walk through it in faith, but still, when God floods his system, man, you should see the discourse from this moment on, the rest of Psalm 22, is about that dominion, the overcoming power of God. He wins it here. What he has spoken in the Garden of Gethsemane, what he's prayed and won in his heart in faith, now it is exacting in this moment and manifesting, and God is answering Jesus. He's answering his son as he's standing in the gap just like every one of us. Can I say it that way? God, did you ever stand and have God answer you? It's like, doesn't matter. I'm good. I'm way good. If I die, I die, but I'm good. Some of you stood in the faith of, of healing in your bodies. Marsha Stauffer, you've stood in the faith of healing your bodies. Sue Roby, when she got that word, you will live and not die. It went into her system and pulled back out the overcoming power of God. Man, that's amazing. It can't be standing in a marriage. It can be standing for a son or a daughter. It could be standing for a friend. It could be anything where your faith is out and you're out there on the edge and it feels like never, ever going to happen and God answers you. God, you hold on to those moments. And in this, he's on that cross, of course, in the light of who he really is on Sunday. And everybody saw it and he's holding on to it all by himself. Man, come on. This life, it changed. It, it, to me, that's the hope of everything. When you speak the gospel into men's life and tell who Jesus is and how he walked and that he did it in faith, then it's the hope. Every man's heart comes out and that's the gospel, the good news. Not only did God love them, but he's for them and he, he made a way for them. That's what hearkens men's lives. Not a system of belief, not, a, not a, all the other religions of the world. This is a personal walk with God. And men know it's the truth. I don't care what tribe, what nation, what background. Everybody gets up in the morning, eats, lives, works, and goes to bed at night, and they worry all about the same things. Can I say that? Come on. That's where faith is. God can save someone on the Serengeti and the, and the dark halls of some Russian prison and somewhere else in the world. Not, and God sees all men. As, 
He created them and loves them. All right. Go to John 13. So I'm going to back up a little bit and give you a little context. Prove to you, I hope, what I'm saying. And all these gospels, and in this week, it's just been a fascinating unfurling of our faith. So many stories that we know, from the withering of the fig tree to all these confrontations with men, these encounters, these encouragements. But in it, all the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, they kind of drive, just to kind of say this, Chani mentioned on Wednesday night that John is written differently than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. All of them are beautiful and powerful and bring so much to the plate. But in this, where they're driving toward Jerusalem, driving toward this culmination of this fight between evil and good and God overcomes, John in the middle of this just takes a left turn into this conversation with Jesus. I mean, a lot has happened. And in verse 13, he starts by having a dinner with his friends and washing their feet. The discourse is extremely long. If you take a look at it, it's probably the longest discourse, conversational discourse that Jesus has beyond being the bread and the light. He brings these guys, and this is his last night on this planet, okay, as far as with his friends. Now, here's a man who is brilliant in metaphor and miracle and strategies, and he's doing none of those things from 13 to 17. John, isn't that fascinating? Treat yourself and read through it. It's a conversation with his friends. He says, with fervent love, I've wanted to have this meeting with you. That's my translation. But he really wanted to be with him. Maybe in his humanness, manness, his earthly part, his God part, all together wanting to be with the men that are closest to him. He spent three years with them, correct? And so in it, so what do we find him doing? We find him having a quiet dinner with friends. We find him washing their feet. It says this in verse 4. Of course, in verse 3, Jesus, knowing he had come from the, that the Father had given him all things to into his hands, verse 3, verse 13, that he had come from God and was going to God. You could just park it right there for months, just knowing that he knew who he was, where he came from, and where he was going. Whew. That we could be like that. Isn't that amazing? Those three things. Then he rose from supper, laid aside his garments, and humbling himself, of course, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet to wipe them and if the towel which he had girded. He's really washing their dirty feet. <laughs> then he came to Simon Peter and said, Lord, you're washing my feet. And Jesus answered him, Peter has a revelation of who he is. So, what I'm doing, you do not understand now, but you will know after us, which is so important Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, if I do not wash your feet, you have no part of me. John, what are we saying here? Look, of all the things he could be doing, he's having dinner with friends and he's washing their feet. The discourse is just amazing. They interrupt him, they have this talk. There's no strategy behind it. Jesus is showing not what to do, but who he is. And then culminating with a, with a prayer to the Father in verse chapter 17, he's showing these men how to live their life, not to, what to do against the enemy. What's the key? The key is that we live our life in simple fashion, and God is the one who visits us. Are you with me? Charles shared this last week, that every home should be an appropriate place for men of peace, and that's where God comes. The men who are ready, expecting, they're, they're wanting God to come to their life, and they live it naturally, but God comes supernaturally in that natural life. He's living, he's showing them who he is. He's just doing the normal things of life. He's really starting with, 
washing men's feet, whose dirty, kind of the servant thing. This is a picture and pattern of our life that we start with the things of men's lives in us, getting filthy with them, and yet ending up with our arms open to God in prayer at the end in chapter 17. This is our call, guys. Does that make sense? Oh, this looks like it's just going over so amazing. Look at your faces. Like we live with the grime of men every day. I don't want to do this. This work is hard. These people drive me crazy. This is really bothering me. We live with all the pressures of, oh, these kids, oh, my, this, what will we ever do? Will we ever have enough? Will we ever be able to do this? Will we ever do that? And you start with the grime and the filth of men, and then you end up in a place of God. God, you must come through. God, I know who you are. You know who I am. I know that you're in me. I'm in you. Come on. That's what we're talking about. We end up, this is our life pattern day in and day out. And then God chooses to visit and pour out on that. It's his answer that comes through our life. Come on. And so we, we appropriate ourselves. We, we believe. We live in, in constant anticipation. We live in constant welcome. We live in constant acceptance of him. We live in constant belief and faith in him. We practice those things and put them in our life. And that's what Jesus is doing between 13 and 17, showing how to live in day in and day out. Some of the things he talks about, which is so great, is you just got to see it here. Well, I got it on my notes, so I'll just show it to you. So verse to John 13, 34, this new commandment I give to you to love one another, 13, 36 to 38, he he warns his friend that he's going to deny him and tells him, when you return, you'll strengthen your brother. He's just dealing so relational in all this. Verse 14, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. What's the way? To live in faith. What's the way? To deny yourself, pick up your cross daily, and follow me. Yep, in the little distance. Yep, in little old Harrisburg. Yep, in little old Hummelstown. That's right. You're doing it. What's God's plan? You, right there. You, right where you are. That's God's plan. And when there's thousands and millions of us believing all the time, totally for real, being ready for him to come, then he comes when he wants. We're all praying for this revival, and we can't make the revival happen. We can only say, God, yes, I believe you. I believe you when it's not working out at work. I believe when it's not working out in my marriage. I believe when I see my son go wrong. I believe you. I'm holding on to you. I know what you said on Sunday. I believe what you, who you are from there, and that's who you are, and I'm betting my life on it. And every moment you step in faith begets faith. Faith grows inside of you. You start to grow again. You start believing again. You start moving toward him. Every moment. This is for real. It's not like a, ah, it's not like a brainwashing. It's a personal relationship with someone who speaks to your heart. And he speaks to you in words. He speaks to you in impressions. He speaks to you and downloads. You can feel it and you know it's true. Because you're way more than flesh and blood. Oh, come on. Come on. Snap out of it. Seriously. We live for a kingdom. That's why you're sitting here. You know it's true. And Jesus is pouring this out in this moment. Seriously. And John, his conversation is just brilliant. Then he mourns him in verse 15. You can, you can do nothing without me, what it says in John 15, 5. In John 5, 19 and 20, it says, the son does nothing of himself, but only what he sees the father's doing. In verse 30, he goes on to say, he goes on, what he sees the father do. Where is verse 30? There you are. I can do nothing of, my, of myself. I can do nothing. What do you mean? So John, we live our life in this anticipation, but when God comes, it's like a super holy thing. If any of you laid hands on someone in front and seen them get healed, you know it's so not about you, right? If you pray a prayer and someone gets their lives changed, you know it's super holy. It's not about you. But we get to have this life with him that is stunning, but it's him, and it's so easy to slip into this serving, and I'm being a part of Jesus, and I'm helping him. <laughs> but we do get like that. I do get like that. Like, oh, God, I'm doing my part. I know my place and fit. It's just so amazing. And, and of course, you get blessed. You get status. You get position. Of course you do. Does that work its way into who you are? It can. 
Let's go to Mark chapter 16. I'll close with this. We've got to close. Mark chapter 16. I hope this, makes, this can make sense for you. If I could draw this out. We know this story. The three women go to the tomb early in the morning. I'm jumping ahead to Sunday. So this is a little trailer. Is that okay? <laughs> you know, the commercials come on three times a half hour. We can hear this story often. That'd be good for us, don't you think? I hope it seeps into your lunchtime. It makes you crazy. All right, there you go. All right, so we know the story. They go to the, they go to the tomb. The stone is rolled away. Woo, verse four. And that's really amazing. And then they go in and there's, there's, <laughs> there's angels, supernatural beings. They're amazing. They said, he's not here, he's risen. He's not here, he's risen. Verse six. He said, then verse seven, go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you in Galilee and there you'll see him. As, as he said to you. And so, verse 8, here we are. So we went out quickly and fled the, from the tomb. They trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Stop. Okay, let's just take a moment. First of all, Marcus is the writer for Peter. So this is really Peter's story. Because he says, go and tell the disciples and Peter. So we know Peter's really narrating this through Mark, which is amazing. And if you read Peter 1 and 2, that's a transformed human being. Because a fisherman writes 1 Peter and 2 Peter. It is brilliant articulation of love, of, 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 of moving toward God, surrendering our lives. It's just poetry. It's amazing. So anyway, the story in here... A lot of people say that verse 8 is the end of the chapter, but they've had the whole different from 9 to 19 to 20. The writing changes. So either way, it's canon in Scripture, but it's interesting to think that Peter would have ended this story right here. Bang. They told nothing to anyone, and they were afraid. Well, what's that about, John? I mean, they, these are supernatural beings speaking to humans. You think they might obey, but they didn't. And we know the end of the story. You guys jump ahead because everybody knows they do found their voice. They go and tell Peter and the whole crew. But for a moment, whether it's a couple of hours or 10 minutes for, or half a day, they say nothing. What happened to them? Well, they needed a moment, people. Everything changed. They had been used to traveling with Jesus and his teachings and done the travel with him. They had worked with him, found their place with him. You know how servants are. You kind of find your place and you're part of the team and we're going to change the world. This is it. Life Center is going to be the center of the revival. We all have our parts and plates, isn't it? This is okay. I'm just being facetious. You got it, though. But I mean, they all get used to it. But all of a sudden, <laughs> they're coming to a noise body. Like, we're going to do something. It's not, it's not that we can't do things for God, but it can't, be it can't be deeply identifying who we are. He does. So when they walk in and they see that he's raised, it shifts. They're like, this means everything's different. This means that... He really was the one in charge. That really he's been one coming after us and doing it for us. That it's not me doing things for him, but it's him coming after us. It's not me being drawn to him. It's he's always been drawn to me. It shifts their paradigm thinking. It's like they walked in this room and it was different now. He's the one that's been in charge and I'll join my life to him. Does that make sense? They needed a moment to reset. Now our lives are he could do anything. This could be dangerous. Do you understand? There's, a, there's kind of a closure to the before in the ministry. Like, ah, oh, it was a good try. But I, but, or I believed it, but I, I don't know what to do with it. Do you ever get stuck in your belief? And all of a sudden now God is way larger than what they were. They thought he was. The only, I can use an example, and it's a, a human example, but let me throw it this way. 
Because I think sometimes scripture is like board minutes. It just kind of gives you what you need to tell what happened. But is that okay to say that? Anybody's in a board, they know what I'm talking about. Like, we just do short board minutes, but a lot happened underneath. You know what I mean? So I think you got to use your imagination. So look, Michael, my son, went to the United States Military Academy at West Point, And in it, um, they formed a, they, he was on the soccer team, the college soccer team. Uh, you know, of course, D1 draws soccer players from all over the country who are the best of the best. In this team, they had quite a few friends that pulled together. You know, as a, as a team, they really work well from, from seniors all the way to freshmen. And then everybody moves up the ladder and they watch out for the younger ones below. They form together. They storm together. They norm together. It is not a pretty, but it's an amazing sight. I just want to say, you see men pull together. Not only are they trying to survive the the oppressed upperclassmen making them do things they, they have to perform and do perfectly, but now they also have to try and make it on a D1 soccer team and become the best on the team. How many of you understand this? There's going to be a lot of strength, a lot of ego, a lot of power, and, and a lot of hard work. Wouldn't you agree? A lot of juxting for positions and working together, and a lot of oversight, a lot of encouragement, and all these things that happen. So Michael joined with his crew, and he had a bunch of guys, and three or four of them were Asian, uh, were Koreans, wonderful, uh, Sean Kim, uh, uh, John Lee, Michael, and Jason Pock. Now, Jason Pock was one of the guys there and on the team, and they all vied for position, all loving and hating each other at the same time. Sounds like the disciples, doesn't it? <laughs> no, really. Really. So they go through the whole thing, the four years. They, they keep in touch with each other. Of course, the older ones get on their way, and Michael's group graduates. They get deployed and. Um, Michael certainly had deployment in uh, Afghanistan and, and a, a Ford operating base, and so did Jason Pock. Jason is a beautiful human being, broad shoulders, dark hair, just as gorgeous running across the field as can be. Just amazing. All of them fast, all of them brilliant, all of them doing all they can to be the best they can. Jason's leading in field artillery. He's the lead group heading into a town, steps on an IED. He is blown to smithereens. He's still alive. We took the time to visit him in Water Reed Hospital. Both legs lost, part of his arm is terribly damaged, and he's making his way back. Of course, the word goes among all the guys up and down the ladder for seven years or eight years of generation and time for seeing him and knowing him and loving him. It was devastating. What was amazing, though, I have to say this, is when you walk in a hospital room and you see someone completely alive and all the cognizant abilities, all right, he'll, be, he'll have some impositions in his life, but he's still going to be Jason. Thank you, God. Talk about life and death. Life is good. Anyway, so, of course, they all culminate in the Army-Navy game. If you don't know anything about the Army-Navy game, that's such a bum. You should know about the Army-Navy game. Go Army, beat Navy. Anyway, so, if you're a Navy gay guy here in the thing, I respect you, but I'm sorry for you. No, it's okay. All right, so... <laughs> Anyway, so they're all pulling together. It's like a reunion every year at the Army-Navy game, especially the guys who have gone through stuff together. Of course, they are all pulling together this year, hoping to see Jason. You know, you don't know, but they're all pulling together. A group of young men who have spent their life giving to an oath, preparing for an oath, exacting that oath, and then on that oath and promise, the execution of it has cost them, especially in a time of war when they've gone to places they been far away from home and done some things that are very difficult. You can see the olderness in their eyes of a 24 or five-year-old when you see this gathering. Of course, they're holding on and his discipline is powerful and heroic as always, but you can see the hollowness in their eyes. You can see they gave more than they thought they'd have to give, and this has been not easy. 
So they're really glad to see each other. They're pulling together, drinking, being past five guys deep. As soon as you, a drink goes on the corner, you know, it disappears, but it's replaced. You know, it's just amazing. These guys, the camaraderie and the, and the rivalry with the Navy is amazing. There's kind of nothing like an a Army-Navy game with the flyovers, the march-ins, and it's just about everything. It's fun. It is fun. These guys are crowded in a big room, and they really decide to have a reunion this year up and down the ladder. Probably seven years of cadets that now have been all graduated and been there. They're pulling together, and this has been an amazing time. Difficult time, but amazing close relationship and close fellowship. They're just glad to be together. In that room, opens the door, and Jason Park walks in with both prosthetic legs. He walks in like he can walk. Man, he made it there. A full uniform guest walks in to see these men's lives. This place comes unglued. I'm telling you, tables are being turned over, drinks are being flying. These guys mob this kid, this young man, now a man, seriously. They mob him, throw themselves on him, touch him, hold him, grab him. It's amazing. It's just pandemonium. Can you imagine something like this? Can you imagine the, 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 strength, the, the, the encouragement that they jump into him? Because he overcame something not only difficult as an assignment, but came over, some, over something in himself to get there, to step into that room and walk into that room. They just turn the table, they drinks, find people, go on, run into them and grab them. Jeez, man, it's good to see you. Amazing, where are you going to see him? Man, he's so happy to be in their presence. How happy to be with him. Come on. Now, that's the part where I think when you see that Jesus stepped through the doors and he stepped into Thomas, touch my hands, touch my side. Come on, these guys went bananas. They went crazy when they saw him. Stuff you don't see in Scripture, but you have to know that was there. When that happened, those women stepped in that tomb and he was gone. That shifted the way they thought. Not only did he come through, but he overcome in total power. He is in control in their lives. What do you want? I will give you my life. What do you want? Everything I have, God, I'll just do it. And you're the one in control. My slate is cleared. I'm cleaning off the, the slate board. And whatever you want to do, you can do. And I just want to be a part of it. That's what I'm talking about. Every day I'll live my life in absolute connection to you. I'll live it simply. I know I can't do anything, but you, you can do everything. Oh my gosh, there's nothing you can't do. And what's the future like? Can you understand something like that? The only way I could see it is when, that, when I heard about that story, David told me he was there, had the privilege of being there. I was like, God, that's like what it was when you walked back in that room and we saw you resurrected. Resurrection changes our lives from, God, oh, this is what I want you to do to fix my life, to saying, God, fix me so I can live my life and in any kind of situation you want. That's what it changes you like. You're in charge and I'm not. And I love it when you are. God. I don't come to see, God, what you, what you can do for me. I come to see what you have for me so I can do it. Come on, guys. Now, it's not bad to ask God for things and want him and talk to him, but it's, it's different when it becomes our life way. And then, God, you're, then you're circling us instead of me circling you. And we walk in here, it's like, God, I remember who you are. That's why we worship. And into that, my life fits. And if it doesn't get any better, show me how to live overcomingly in the situation I'm in. I belong to you. In my life, every day is an anticipation, expectation, acceptance, and faith and belief in you in every small situation. And together, we will take over each of our worlds in the righteous way, becoming the ones underneath to help those around us without judgment because we weren't judged. 
with total acceptance because we were accepted in love because we were loved unconditionally. (laughs) And nothing can withstand that kind of faith because he's moving through us. So roll up your sleeves, people. Here we go. We start doing this, we won't, we'll be, we won't be able to hold the people that have come here because we're just loving them for real. We've got to stand up. Heroic things happen every day. We can be a part of it. Don't be overcome by circumstances and situations. Don't be overcome by the ordinary. Don't be overcome by the dirge. Don't be overcome by the news and the world out there. It's just a bigger stage for God to break through. It's just a bigger stage for God to break through. He's he's relentless. He's unstoppable. Upon his kingdom and government, there will be no end. He doesn't shrink back. It's not worse than ever. Not on your life. God is moving now more than ever. The worse it gets, the more more I say, God, this is going to be amazing. Show me my part and help me not get caught in anger or stupidity or selfishness. It's a good week, isn't it? It's a good week. Let's take it to the Lord. Come on. God, keep us in this light, the light of who you are, how you are, but that we are with you as well. You're not separated from us. You're not too far away. You're not some person that we can't attain to. You made a way for us to be like you, act like you, think like you, love like you, reach like you, give like you, care like you, carry like you, enjoy like you. In our little homes, in our places where we live, in our lives of which you're completely entirely interested. Wow. Thank you. We ask for strength. We ask for grace in the days ahead. We ask for hearts that believe that no matter what the worst man can do is always an occasion for the unbelievable best that you can do. The unbelievable best that you can do. And we get to be a part of it. Make us aware that the world will hate us. Make us aware that it's a broken system. Make us understanding of that. That it's just just the playing field. That's just the way it is. Those are the facts. But the truth is greater than the facts. And you are the truth. You are the way. You are the life. And we're all in. We're all in.
all in. Thank you. Make these scriptures come alive to this this week as we head into Resurrection Sunday. Every life feel the freedom that you are and have given. Won't waste a second of it, we pray. Ask for your blessing. Put your hand on somebody beside you. Come on, let's just pray from God. Strengthen us. This is the family. This is us. This is the family right here. The community you've called us to. Strengthen us every day to live in light of your kingdom and belonging to you. We, we choose you. We, even though you chose up, we, we love you back every day. We get to. Blessings on every family, every individual, every person in this community. Make us dangerous now like you. In Jesus' name. Can you say amen?